All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to New Life. Glad to have you guys with us. Right on. Hey, I want to say a big hello to everyone worshiping with us out at our North Platte campus, as well as those that are worshiping with us um, down in the venue. Honey, come on in. Come on in. Hey, everybody. This is my wife, Kim. All right. Everybody say hi. They don't, uh, they don't often get to see you out in North Platte or down in the venue, but uh, I needed my wife's help today, all right? Not only is, uh, is, and I'm sorry if this offends any of you, but not only is she the most beautiful woman on the earth, um, but I needed someone to hold some papers. So uh, what we have, what we have uh, is um, we've got a couple of ways that we're asking you to participate with us in giving here at New Life. Uh, I know that if you're a guest with us, then instantaneously you're checking the box. You're like, I knew it. That's why I hate going to church. They always ask for money. The truth of the matter is, no, we don't. Um, However, there is a moment right now that we're doing two things that are very special, and we're just asking you to prayerfully consider it. Today is not the day I want you to respond. On the first Sunday of April, that's the day I'm asking you to respond with me. Uh, the first one is, um, in your bulletin, you had two handouts. The first one is the Pave the Way. <clears throat> this is uh, for us to pay off about $500,000 is what we've got probably left after some other pledges uh, to pay off our west entrance here at our Kearney campus. And uh, man, I would love for you guys to join Kim and I. You know, we're giving $200 a month to help us pave the, pave way, pave the way for more people to come. Um, this project over here, not only does it let people that New Life Park really close to the building, and make our building more kind of something you can circumvent and stay on our property, which is very convenient for a number of things. Uh, But it also matches now our seating capacity to our parking capacity, uh, which allows us to fill our west and our east venues here at our Kearney campus so that we can reach more people for Jesus. And I just want you to know something, that's God's mission. And if it's God's mission, it ought to be our mission. So please consider how you can participate with this, and uh, we're going to ask everybody to kind of turn these cards in on the first Sunday of April. The second thing, though, is from a biblical perspective, tithing is where you really want to begin giving if you're not giving at all to the Lord. Tithing is, a, is 10% of what we make. And uh, when Kim and I were kids, our parents taught us that principle of giving when we were kids, and we get the joy of continuing to give uh, even to this day. We look, for, we look for ways to create revenue streams in our life, even outside of the, the, what we get as being pastor, just so that we can actually give more money at the end of the year um, as a tithe to the Lord. And it's a joy for us to be able to do that. Uh, so we know that's a difficult thing for you. And so what we do at New Life about once a year is we roll out what we call the Tithe Challenge. It's also going to start on the first Sunday of April. And if you want to participate with the Tithe Challenge, you got this card. I would ask you to fill it out. And you can also go to our website, mynewlifechurch.com, and you can sign up for it there. Here's the deal. It's a cash back guarantee. You tithe for 90 days and you don't feel like God's been faithful. You tithe for 90 days and you don't feel like it works then you just simply let our accountant know and she's going to write you a check for 100% of what you gave during those entire 90 days. So that's how much we believe in tithing that we'll give you all the money back. And so it's more about your obedience to God than it is anything else. So would you guys please give it up for my wife? Come on. See, wasn't it a lot better when you talk about money at church when your wife's on the stage? It just makes it all better. Hey, listen, we're in a little mini-series 
Right now it's called God Is. Uh, it's a mini-series because it's only like three weeks long. First week we talked about God is Father. Very good, very good. And uh, then last week we talked about God is Happy. So that means we have a, a God who is our happy Father. And today God is love. So here today we're going to wrap this whole thing up. That we have, as God, we have a God who is a happy Father and a God who is love. Now, Jesus said, now before, hold on, before we go any farther, uh, just know this. When, when I say the word God is love, I know that for some of you, you grew up in church all your life, and you're like, this is taking us back to like a third grade Sunday school class. Well, my endeavor today is not to do that. My endeavor today is to try to awaken all of us on the inside um, and cause us to really, truly comprehend and understand how massive God's love is toward you. And how incredible it is and how really undeserving we are of it, but yet he still shows it to us. Jesus said this as he was basically defining what love is in John 15, 13. He says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for a friend. Just think about that for a minute. minute. We have a hard time really comprehending what true love really is. Like when we, we start out in life thinking about a couple of things that we misinterpret as love. Like, you know, we, we have this idea that, you know, attraction somehow is love. Like we say things like, man, I loved her at first sight. I loved, right? Love, really? Like the minute that you saw her or, you know, if you're, if you're a lady, the minute you saw him, you were willing to do what Jesus said in John 15, I will give up my life for them? I question that. <laughs> I, I really do. We, we also have attraction in the sense of, like, I love the way they play that music, or I love the way they play that sport, right? Or, I, you know, I've been, I've been in the mall with my wife. I try not to, but I end up there. <laughs> and, you know... She'll say something like, man, I love her hair, or I love that sweater. I wonder where she got it. And that's about the time I go, honey, it's time to go, right? Because I know what comes next. It always is going to mean money. Money, right? Like, where did she find that sweater? I don't want to know, right? Because it could be some high-end thing. So we say things like attraction, and we go, I love it. But is that really true love? And of course it's not. Then we have this other piece that is at work in our lives at different stages of life. And, you know, sometimes the enemy just keeps knocking on our door with this one. But many times we misinterpret in a massive way lust for love. We lust after something. We just have to have it, especially when it comes to lusting after someone of the opposite sex. You need to know today that God created sex as a entity of love between a man and a woman in a committed married relationship and we can't we can't misconstrued that to think to ourselves that this lust that we have for someone is somehow intertwined with love because it's not sex isn't always love but god created it to be that in our lives so there's a massive difference between what Jesus said love is and what we as humans tend to kind of wrestle with and try to interpret as love. 
But when you consider the definition that Jesus gave us in John 15, 13 about what love is, what are some of the first words that come to your mind? Like if, I, if you had to define the kind of love that Jesus talked about, that love that one person would lay down their life for another, what would be a word that you would use to describe it? I want you to think about it. Maybe even write it down on your notes, right? Write it down. If you have a journal um, or you're taking notes on your phone or whatever, just, just write it down for a moment. Right, what would be the word that you would use? The word might be selfless. These are words I wrote down. Sacrificial. I wrote down the word costly. It's going to cost you a lot. I wrote down the word painful. To give up your life for someone else. Painful. I wrote the word humbling. You have to humble yourself if you're going to put someone else and their needs ahead of you. But I also, words like this came to my mind, like strong. It's, it's got to be strong. And a second word, confident love. Like I have to know that if I'm doing this, it's for a cause much greater than what I can even see or know. But I'm doing it for the right reason. But I really believe that Jesus was trying to identify one certain word when he was talking about love in a way that one person would give up their life for another. And that word would be restorative restorative see in that passage jesus was talking about him getting ready to give up his life for his friends humanity which is the greatest love of all it's restorative grace it's the kind of love and the kind of sacrifice that restored humanity into an intimate personal relationship with god and without that kind of love that gives up your life for a friend, there is no restoring us back into a proper relationship with God where God's spirit actually lives in us. Yeah. Restorative grace. That sacrifice of Jesus, it begins to demonstrate for us how far God is willing to go for you and me to truly know and grasp how passionately he's in love with you. But it's, I got it, it's hard for us to grasp the total power of God's restorative grace for our lives. To take a sinner, to take someone that's so you know, screwed up and messed up and restore us, connect us back to a holy, perfect God. For, for many of us, we have a hard time even wrapping our head around it and even accepting it as truth. To be fully restored, to go from this complete imperfectness to be perfect in God's eyes? That's because there is no, there's nothing that we can do on this earth to even compare to or create a semblance of the restorative grace and the restorative power of God's love for us. I mean, think with me for a moment. You have a, 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 a husband and a wife and their child is kidnapped from them. And the child is returned in perfect condition back to the parents. The child is restored back into the relationship with the parents. That's amazing, isn't it? But do you guys, do you do realize that that doesn't even come close? That doesn't even come close to equaling God's restorative love for you and me? But yet God's restorative love, it reached into our kidnapped state when we were kidnapped by sin and selfishness and man-centered living. And it reached in and it grabbed us and it yanked us right out of that. And it put us into full relationship with God. 
We also think of things like a husband, let's say a husband's in a bad accident and he ends up in the hospital and he's in a coma and in a state of unconsciousness and the doctors have no hope for him and then he miraculously awakes from that back to normal living, back to you know providing for his family, loving his wife and being an amazing dad to his kids. That's pretty cool to be restored back to that, but even that doesn't equal the power of God's restorative love and his restorative grace for us. But yet, while we were in our coma, not even recognizing or realizing that Jesus gave his life for us, not even coming to grips with the fact that God's love was so amazing, while we were still sinners, God reached into our comatose state, and he yanked us out of it, and he restored us back into perfect relationship with him. We use examples like a soldier who's on a battlefield, and he ends up giving his life for his fellow platoon members. And for that, it moves my heart in a special way. And it's extremely honoring. I mean, it is an honor above many honors that you can have on this earth. And it is probably one of the closest descriptors to this particular verse that we can get to. But it still doesn't reach the restorative grace of God's amazing love for us. Because I can give up my life. For my buddies and my pals out there on the battlefield, and they can, still, they can still spend eternity in separation from God. But the restorative love and the restorative grace that Jesus showed to us by his sacrifice and his death on the cross restores us to eternal life with God, not just a temporal good feeling. We need to be reminded over and over and over again that God is love and that that love restores us. And not just us, not just us that are here in, you know, one of the three different auditoriums and six services that are going to be at New Life today, but we're talking about the people that we know, that we care about, that we love, that are out in our community today. See, knowing that God is love is one of these three gates that you've got to open up in your life. And if you don't see God as a God of love, or a God who is love, not just a loving God, but a God who is the very essence of love, you'll never read the Bible correctly. You'll never pray correctly. You'll never explore God correctly because you'll never trust him correctly. You'll never really open yourself up to the depths of Jesus and where he wants to take you. You will always cut it off more shallow You will only go so far because if you don't understand and you're not willing to open up the gate and say that God is the very essence, the perfect picture of love, then you'll misinterpret him at every turn. So today, as we we dive into this, I want you to take out your smartphone, right, or your tablet device or whatever it is that you have. I want you to open up the Facebook, and I want you to think with me today as we go through this message What's something that God says to you about God's incredible love that the world needs to know and you're willing to send it out in a social media post? And when you do that, please just do something with me. Just associate that little emoji with the two hearts. I was at Walmart yesterday. I don't know why. We just randomly end up at Walmart. Does anybody else like me? All right. And you're like walking and you forget like, why am I here? All right. So I'm walking through Walmart and I'm over by, you know, like where all the auto parts are because that's like where a man would go in Walmart. And so I'm over there by that stuff and I look over and there's this round pillow 
right? And it's got this emoji on it right here with the two hearts and everything. I almost bought one just to bring it up here. I was going to tape it on my back. So when I turned around, you saw it. And I decided that's too junior high-like, so decided not to do it. Our world needs to know how incredible God's love is, and I'm empowering you today to help them know it. Yeah, we broadcast out online, and there's people worshiping with us at our online campus right now. But there's many people that need to worship with us even next week, and I want you to send out a couple of posts today. Be bold. God is love. I want you to send out what it is that stands out to you today. So as we look at God is love, one of the things that struck me about this is that every living creature has a massive amount of DNA in their life, right? DNA, this distinctive genetic code, this double helix that defines who you are out of the millions and the billions of creatures that have been created. You have a unique genetic code inside of you that would identify you as, first off, being human. But then, secondly, it would identify you for the uniqueness of who you are. It would, you, it would identify me as Jeff Baker, right? It would, and I, it would identify you as whatever your name is. It sets us apart, right? It, it becomes this, this internal identification of who we are. And you've got a lot of it inside of you. This is how much you got. You have about 100 trillion cells in your body. In each cell, science has discovered that in each one of those 100 trillion cells, you have about 6.5 or 6.5 feet of DNA evidence in each cell. Now, I know we're talking about a lot of zeros, but you don't have to be a mathematician to figure this next one out. That means that you have 650 trillion feet of DNA evidence inside of you. <laughs> I got it all fit there. Man, I mean, what in the world? This is incredible. You have 650,000 feet of DNA identifying you as human and identifying you as God's creation, uniquely made by God. Now, what could you do with 650 trillion feet of DNA evidence? Here's one thing you could do. You could go from the earth to the sun. You could make that journey like a spider, connecting your DNA to the earth and then letting it out and go to the sun, and you could do that 1,256 times. That's a lot of evidence just thrown out there into our solar system. You could also, you could also do this. You could go out to Neptune. Do you guys, anybody know Neptune? You guys with me on this one? Neptune. Now, when I was a kid, Pluto was the farthest planet. So that's why I threw that up there out of defiance to all scientists who removed it. Take that. <laughs> but... The farthest planet that we recognize now is Neptune. Neptune is 2.7 billion miles from Earth. Can you tell I get a little geeked out on this kind of stuff? 2.7 billion miles from Earth. How many, how many feet are in a mile? 5,280. So in 1977, we launched Voyager 2 to go on an exploration exploration mission through our solar system 
It took it 12 years to travel 2.7 million miles, and it arrived at Neptune in 1989. Now, that's a long time. 12 years. If you wanted to make that round trip, someone that's good with math, it's 24 years. You could take the DNA evidence that's inside of you, you could attach it to the earth, and you could go round trip to Neptune and back. It'd take you 24 years, but you could do that trip 22 times before you ran out of DNA. Now, you can't do that in your lifetime. In fact, it would take you somewhere around 528 years to exhaust the DNA evidence inside of you, connect it to the earth, go out to Neptune, and back again 22 times. You would have to have 528 years to even exhaust the very evidence that makes you you inside of you. Now, I don't know what you think about that, but someone right now is trying to figure out how to send that out. And you're like, I don't even know what to say. My whole point with all of that is when you think about the overwhelming evidence that makes you, you, how much evidence is there that makes God, God? There's that amount of evidence that we we could find it in all of these small places or it could be strewn throughout our universe and still identify you as you then how much evidence is there to justify God, to find God, to show God, to see how incredible God is? If infinite man can have this amount of overwhelming evidence, God is going to have a massive amount. I just want you to look at how big God actually is defined in the Bible in Isaiah. Take a look at this. It says, who else has held the oceans in his hand? other than God. Think with that. Held the oceans in his hand. It didn't use the word hands. It used the word hand. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Or who has measured off the heavens with his finger? Right? Who else knows the weight of the earth? Right? Or, or has weighed the mountains and the hills on a scale? The prophet Isaiah is speaking about how massively, incredibly huge God is. And think about small, finite man and how massive God is. And if small, finite man has that amount of evidence to prove that you are who you are, how much evidence is there about the massive totality of God that is strewn throughout our universe and is strung throughout your life? It's all over the place. So where do you find this DNA? You find it when you first start reading 1 John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because what? Read it with me. God is love. So what is love? And the beauty of this is that God didn't try to hide his DNA from us. That the simplest child can grab a hold of the DNA of God. And that the complexity of the DNA of God is a journey of which you and me could go on to discover and to be like for the rest of our lives. If the DNA of God is that he is love, then 1 Corinthians 13 tells us the very DNA of God. Because it says that love is patient and kind. I'm going to read it to you by putting God in this equation, making it very personal. That God is patient and kind. 
God does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. God doesn't insist on his own way. God is not irritable or resentful, right? He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. God bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things. He endures all things. God never ends. Other versions say that God never fails. This is who God is. And if you listened on MyBridge Radio this week, then you would have heard me say these very things in 90 seconds. In 90 seconds, I gave this very same message. And you wonder to yourself, why are we sitting here for 33 minutes then? (laughs) It's a fair question. It's a fair question, all right? Put that on the comment card. I'll try to get back to you this week. But this is who God is. And when you look at this DNA evidence of who God is and you start overlaying that into the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you begin to see the very DNA of God being lived out in the person Jesus Christ. You see him love people. You see him be patient with people. You see him say, hey, this is truth, but it's your choice whether you want to follow it or not. So I'm not going to enforce my way on you. But I want you to make the choice. You see him not boasting about himself. You see him not being rude. You see him hating the things that are wrongdoing to others. You see him coming along and healing the sick and feeding the poor. You see him speaking about the needs of the widow and the orphan. When you look at the very life and the DNA of Jesus, you see the evidence that points to him being the very essence of God as it overlays itself on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And here's the incredible part today, that all of God's love is directed at you. You are the very bullseye in the center of God's target And he's aiming all of it right at you. All of its fierce force is being aimed right at you. Like standing underneath a waterfall. Have you ever been at a really intense waterfall? I mean, one that's got, I don't know how many gallons flowing over it, but I mean, it is a lot. The kind of waterfall, if you tried to get underneath it, you wouldn't be able to even stand under it, right? That type of intense waterfall, I'm not talking about some little creek waterfall. I'm, I'm talking about something that's fierce, That kind of waterfall, it reminds you of its incredible power, right? And there's no denying its amazing force. That is a great example of God's love. In fact, 1 John 4, 9 through 10, it talks about the force of God's incredible love toward you. It says that God showed how much that he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our very sins. So I want you to remember with me what Jesus said about love in John 15, 13. You remember it? He says, there is no greater love than one man lays down his life for his friend. Just hang on to that for a second. What about the love of God our Father who laid down the life of his one and only son for his friends? Moms, dads, think with me for a moment. It really is one thing for you to give your life 
for your family. But it is a whole nother thing to say, here's my one and only son. I'm going to give him for your family. That's at a whole nother level. That is the picture of God's love. How hard would that be for you? What kind of pain would that cause you? What, what would you live with just from a human state for the rest of your life? But yet God, in his incredible restorative grace, said it's worth it. So what should our response be to God's love? What should it be? 1 John 4.11 begins to tell us, says, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love what? Love each other. So my suggestion to you is this. Walk away from this sermon with some homework for yourself. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. 8, the very beginning of it. And read that and simply ask God. This is the guidebook to your DNA, right? This is the guidebook to look more like you, love more like you, sound more like you. Which one of these virtues do I need to be working on more? I'm going to tell you right now, that's going to be one of the hardest questions you're going to ever ask God. And it's going to be one of the hardest answers you ever get back from God. And it's going to be one of the hardest things you ever do for God. Is just allow 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to become the very evidence of how you live your life and how you show love to the world. I'm just going to tell you right now that showing God's type of love, this type of love to each other, it's vital for the mission of the local church to succeed. It's vital. Like we are not going to succeed as a church. We will not succeed at the mission of God in this world unless we first start saying, I am going to submit myself to this type of living you might be sitting there right now going, this sounds so shallow. I'm telling you, it's the deepest thing you will ever hear. Because if you don't get this, you don't get anything else in God's word. I don't care what Greek you know, what Hebrew you know, what definition of what word you know, what interpretation of scripture you think you know, what prophetic thing you think you have. You've got nothing. You're a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal, a voice in the wilderness, shouting out that's annoying to everyone's ears. A life that's like sandpaper to other people. You got the picture? Unless we decide, I'm going to let this type of love soak into me and ooze out of me to others. Because if we don't, then the mission of the local church is dead in the water. This is what First John continued to say about that. He said that, no one, no one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. That full expression of God's love is what the world's looking for. It's where my DNA starts being replicated with God's DNA. That's what God's asking for us. So take a little homework assignment and read 1 Corinthians 13 for yourself. But since God loves us, what else should we do? What else should we do? Well, you might feel somewhat obligated you know, to repay God for this incredible love that he gave you. 
It might feel a little bit like when you go out to lunch with someone and then they buy your lunch, or you go to coffee with someone and they buy your coffee. You, do you feel anything like me? Like, well, that was really nice of you, but man, now I got to pay them back. Right? Like, like now, I, man, now I've, man, you got one up on me. And then if it happens two times in a row, then you're like, dog, man, I'm going to have to take a loan to pay you back now. Or that worst case scenario that could ever happen, you're sitting at your house and the doorbell rings and the delivery guy's there and there's a box from Amazon and it's, you know, like the beginning of December and you're like, where did this box come from? And you open it up and it's a gift from a long lost relative and they say, don't open till Christmas, I got you something special. And you're like, no, now I got to go find something, buy something for them and I only got a short period of time to turn it around. That obligation that we have to like try to repay love that we're shown in such a, you know, or kindness that's shown to us. Well, people that experience the amazing love of Jesus, they responded to Jesus in two critical ways. First, here's what they did. Look through, the, look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You're going to see the same model happening over and over and over again. People that experience the incredible love of Jesus first did this. They followed him. And then they invited others to follow him. That's what they did. This happened with a guy that was blind and instantly got healed. What does he do? He follows Jesus and he invites his other buddies to come follow him. This happened with a guy who was demon-possessed. What did he want to do? He wanted to follow Jesus and he wanted to invite everyone else to follow Jesus. This happened with a person who was lame and crippled and they were healed and they got up and they began to walk again. What did they want to do? Follow Jesus and invite their other friends to follow Jesus. So what is the response that God's looking for from us? Can we truly repay him for a restorative grace? No. But we can follow him. And we can invite others to follow him. Those are the two things that we walk away with today. We have a God who is an incredible father, who is amazingly happy, and who is love. And in return, he's looking for two critical things. Follow him with everything that you have. And invite others along on the journey. And that's why next week, these three things, God is Father, God is happy, and God is love, have been trying to open up your eyes and awaken you to the very three critical uh, posts that every single person in our community needs to know. And next week, I'm not going to re-preach these messages. But I'm going to help everybody understand how to move from a man-centered world and cross over the bridge of Christ into a Christ-centered world of living, a mindset of living. I'm going to invite you to please join with me and invite as many friends as you can to come and hear a message of hope like this. And here's what I want you to do. If you'll join with me, I just want you to go out into our lobby after this service and grab one of the markers, and I want you to write the name of a friend that you're willing to pray for and that you're willing to invite Right? You're going to follow Jesus by inviting them and write their name on the bridge. And I'm going to take that piece of the bridge and the piece that's out in North Platte, and we're going to put it together right here and just preach a simple, clear, and crisp message of God's incredible love for people and how God's been chasing them and how God wants to help us cross over the bridge from man's world into a Christ-centered world. I want you to come. I want you to be here. And I want you to bring friends with you. And at the end of that service, we're going to give people an opportunity to say, I want to follow Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. So today, we get to practice passionately loving God with everything we have. 
passionately loving God through an expression of worship. So why don't you join with me today? And let's, let's just love God with everything we have. Why don't you stand with me? And let's take a moment and pray and let our worship teams lead us. Father, we are so amazingly blown away by your restorative grace of your love for us. That the evidence that you put inside of us that makes us human, is, it blows my mind. And I, can, I can't even hardly begin to fathom, Lord, the evidence that would prove that you are God. Except for the fact that it is, it's strung throughout the universe. It's everywhere. You can't get away from it. The very air that I breathe is part of the DNA of your evidence. The very earth I stand on is the sky as I look up in its, in the, at the night into it and see all of the, the stars that are out there. Lord, I, it reminds me of your incredible love. Lord, to stand here today and to look at your word reminds me of your love. Lord, to stand here today and be able to worship you with freedom reminds me of your amazing love. To know that my sins that once used to weigh me down have been set free. And Lord, I stand here a man free from the guilt and the shame and the torment of my sin is an example of your incredible love for me. And Lord, I just pray that for this congregation, we would unleash a torrent of love back to you. Like that waterfall that keeps crushing down, reminding us of its force. We would love you today in our worship and in our expression to you. We wouldn't worry about what other people think. We wouldn't worry. Lord, we would come to altars that are in the front of all of our auditoriums and kneel down as hungry people going, God, I just want to love you more. I just want to walk in your love more. Lord, you are an amazing father, perfect above every other. You're so happy and joyful. And your love for us is literally beyond description. The sermon is such a foolish way to try to explain your love. But it's all we've got. And so today we use it to glorify you, just like we're going to use our lives to bring you glory over these next few moments. Have your way at New Life Church. In Jesus' name. Amen.